today our readings will be on Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Um, if you have a house Bible, you can be found in page uh, 320. We begin. A good name is better than, than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as a crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This is also vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in the spirit is better than the proud in the spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good within inheritance, and an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is, is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. This is God's word. You may be seated. Okay. Well, let's get right to it. Uh, we're in our series in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we have here the author, if you're just catching, us, uh, catching up to the series with us, your first Sunday in, many of you, that's the case. Um, the author of Ecclesiastes is King Solomon in the scriptures. And if you don't know who King Solomon is, maybe you've heard of King David. King David was known as the greatest king that had ever ruled and reigned in the city and the nation of Israel. And King David was known to rule over the best times that Israel had. And his son was none other than the great and the wisest man this world has ever seen outside of Jesus, King Solomon. And there's a story in Kings where God asks Solomon if there's anything that he would request of him, what would it be? And Solomon requests that God would give him wisdom. And God says to Solomon, because you've asked for wisdom over wealth and over power and over anything else, I give you wisdom and with it I give you wealth and power that you might use it for my glory. And so Solomon is known throughout human history as the author of the wisdom literature you have Ecclesiastes, and if you just go over a couple books to your left, you see, or actually one book to your left is the book of Proverbs. And you have the Song of Solomon. And this wisdom literature is shaping for our mind and shaping for our heart in such a way that we reorganize, we reorient our hearts and our minds around the wisdom of God. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we see uh, what I believe is an old man, Solomon, who has lived life as, it, as if he had nothing to lose. He has all the wealth, he has all the wisdom, he has all the women, he has all the wine in the world to make his heart happy 
but he doesn't find it there. But wisdom that truly marks Solomon's life is a wisdom that's devoted, as it says at the end of the book in chapter 12, to the fear of the Lord. And so today, as we find ourselves here in chapter 7, we see that wisdom is a narrow path. Wisdom is a narrow path. When I was a... uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, my family moved out into a, a community called Homeland. There were five acres in Homeland uh, that we lived on, and we had a garage, and there was attached to the garage these two horse stalls. And after we moved there, uh, it wasn't too long before mom and dad bought horses, two quarter horses. One, his name was Odie, and Odie was a beautiful dark brown coat, and was about nine years old when we got him. He was classically trained meaning that this was your typical English rider horse. And uh, he was uh, an absolute joy to ride because he was so smooth, man. He had just a great gait is what they call it. That's a, that's a run for those of you who are non-horse riders like me. I, I just like, give me a Western saddle and I'm just going to hold on. Um, and, uh, but Odie was a smooth ride. The problem with Odie though is, is man, he had a mind of his own. When he thought he was right, he thought he was right. And you were on the ride with him wherever he thought he was right. So that was the problem with Odie. Skipper, on the other hand, was a Palomino quarter horse. I think he was about 18 or 19 when we got him. And his days of his youth was, was, uh, right barrel racing. And so he, he had like one, one speed. It was just fast all the time. As soon as you let go of the bridle, I mean, it was pedal to the metal and it was go. It was like, turn those barrels, turn back around. Skipper was a fearless and courageous horse. He would be loyal to you if he liked you. He did what you said. And uh, Skipper was a lot of fun. Actually, it was just about, uh, uh, about two months ago, Skipper passed away. And, um, but we had such a great time uh, with these horses. And uh, w- one day I was with my, my old high school band director. We were on a, a horseback ride and he liked riding horses. And so I was sucking up to the band director and I asked him to come horseback riding with me. So I got that lead trumpet solo. You know, that was a little pit, quid pro quo. Um, so we went... Um, that's a little known fact about me. If you haven't heard my trumpet yet, um, you don't want to. All right. Um, so we went horseback riding, went for a nice trail ride, and it was along the side of a canal. In South Florida, these canals, they, they don't really have a shallow end. It's just kind of deep. You know, if you go off the ledge, you're off the ledge. And then on the other side of this, uh, this pathway was this thick, dense brush Um, and so as we were going along, Skipper was in the front because, you know, Palomino quarter horse barrel racer always had to be at the front. And I was actually riding Odie and we were behind my band director. Um, he, he chose the daring, courageous horse that listened. That was great. Um, and so the pathway that we were on began to narrow. The canal came in more and then the brush came in more. And so it became increasingly more narrow. And, and Skipper, you just tell him where to go and he goes. And he didn't care about the dense brush that was coming in on him. He just went ahead. Now, Odie, he did not want to get his coat messed up, apparently. And so he was staying way away from the brush and close to the canal. The problem with the canal on my left 
left was that there's this kind of green sledge over the top of it that made it look like it was the ground. And so while I knew Odie thought that that was the ground, I knew it was the canal. And so I'm trying to pull him more and more to the right and he's going further and further to the left. And as the brush comes in and then the canal coverage is getting, making this narrow path even more narrow, both of us tip over and we fall into this deep canal and I'm hanging on to the, to the, you know, the Western handle there. I forget what it's called. And we're just out of the water as fast as you can. And I'm just pulling that junk off of my face and off the horse. And that narrow path is the path that we must stay on or else, or else we fall into the ditch because on one side of wisdom is folly. And on the other side of wisdom is folly. And the narrow path of wisdom is the path that's least traveled and the path that God calls us to stay on with him. That narrow path of wisdom is so important. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 tells us this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do you see that the the path of wisdom is one that trusts in the Lord? Because we have this limited perspective like Odie. We think that over to the left it's safe. When the Lord is calling us to go this narrow pathway that he's called us to. And and this is the path that few go. And this is the path that may look like it's scarier. It may look like it's darker. It may look like it's harder. And the way to the left and the way to the right have a lot more people going that way. And it looks easier and it's more compelling. But we don't trust in our own understanding. We trust in the Lord. And we walk the narrow path paths of wisdom and in our hearts listen we acknowledge him we acknowledge him he's lord he's lord if we're not acknowledging him then we're the ones that are directing our lives we're the ones that is in control and the bible has like a a, a word for that it's called the fool the fool acknowledges himself without acknowledging god and he says and he and he will make straight your paths. That as you trust him, he, he won't lead you astray. Let me tell you a fact right now. God has never failed any person that has put their trust in him. Never. Never in the history of humanity has God failed anyone who has ever put their trust in him. And so the way of wisdom is the way of trust. And the way of trust says, Lord, you're in control and I'm following after you. So we pray for that wisdom today. And we're going to learn these lessons of wisdom together as the author, the preacher, Solomon, gives them to us. Just a little note here. You open your Bible and you see that the, even the way that the words are written is different. So you have verses 1 through 13, actually. We're going up to verse 12. But they're written as a proverb, which is appropriate because Solomon was the world's greatest proverbs writer. 
And so we have these proverbs in order to help understand the way of wisdom. And so the, here's three lessons we're going to learn together. We're, we're going to be in math class today, okay? Uh, math class. Who hated math class? I did. I did. And so I'm punishing all of you because I hated it so much. Actually, we won't be doing any math, but we'll use some familiar terminology in front of it. Um, there's the greater than sign in math. And if you follow the greater than sign, you know there's an alligator, and the alligator's eating the one that's greater than. And so um, that's a little key word. And so here's the, the greater than sign. And it goes very differently than we would think. Uh, death is greater than birth. Rebuke is greater than flattery, and perseverance is greater than success. We're going to see that unpacked throughout the passage. Let's start at verse 1 of chapter 7. A good name is better than precious ointment. If you are looking for a Bible verse in order to support your idea that you should not buy essential oils, here it is right here. (laughs) (laughs) There it is right there. Guys, like if you want a Bible verse for your out of essential oils, there it is right there. Actually, it's not. It doesn't actually talk about essential oils are bad. It just says that a good name's better than. And really, essential oils is kind of a stretch. It's kind of like walking into a mall when they used to have those things. And you'd go into Macy's. And as you go into Macy's, you smell the perfume. You smell the aroma. And it's attractive for a moment, but then that aroma begins to fade away. And that's why a good name is better than precious ointment. He's saying that the internal is greater than the external. The internal is greater than the external. So in 2018, there was uh, many different celebrity deaths of famous people. Um, and uh, one was the food critic Anthony Bourdain. Um, another was the DJ Avicii. Another was Barbara Bush. And when death happens from like a distance, it's hard to get wrapped up into the story, isn't it? It's hard to mourn someone you don't really know. But then there was another death that happened in our church, and it was Gina Talley. Gina was a marvelous woman. She was a community group, lead, or community group host. Uh, she also served on one of our ministry teams. She loved our church. I remember my first Sunday coming to Cross Point downtown was also her Sunday, come, first Sunday coming to Cross Point downtown. She knew me from the church I was at in Lake Nona. And as I came here and I saw her, I said, hey, Gina, thanks for visiting. And she looked at me. She says, visiting? I'm here. I'm here. This is where I belong. And I got to see her through till her death here at Cross Point downtown. And you know what I learned about that death in 2018, in that time of grieving and mourning, is it taught me something about life. Taught me that there's actually a purpose in life that's exposed through death. That the pathway of wisdom that leads to life is an invitation that comes from death so that we may truly live. And so when I pastored her through this ovarian cancer, realizing that it was stage four and likely terminal, being at the bedside with her in the hospital, in her home, with her family, 
and her loved ones, it taught me more about life than probably anything last year taught me. And ironically enough, it taught me how to go through my own father's death that happened earlier this year. It taught me that the way of wisdom is the greater way. And the reason why death is greater than birth, I mean, you know, birth is a great thing. When a child is born, there's great anticipation. There's great joy awaiting that arrival. There's optimism. There's hope. There's celebration that's around it. But death is greater than birth because we don't learn as much from a person's birth as we learn from their death. Because if we are able to study death, it helps us realize how do we want to die so that we might truly live. So he's saying... It's better to go to a funeral than it is to a friend's birthday party at Texas Day Brazil. Now, I would rather go to the friend's birthday party at Texas Day Brazil. I mean, that's what I'd personally rather do. But he's saying there's little value in that for your soul. There's something significant about entering into the grieving process that allows you to feel the fulfillment that God has for your life in the temporal nature of how long we're here. Because nobody's here forever. And he says, the living should pay attention. Take it to heart, those who live right now. Because if you don't take it to heart now, you'll never be able to take it to heart later because our life is brief. And so rather than living in the house of amusement, which is the house of mirth, let's live in the house of sorrow for a little while. And let's take heart the life that God has called us to, that we might acknowledge him in the way that we walk. And so it's, contra- it's so contradictory to the way of the world that we would pay greater attention to death than we would birth. But we also know that the moment someone's born and they continue to breathe, we know that those breaths get shorter and shorter and shorter And that our lives actually begin to dissipate until before you know it, we're gone, just like the people we're grieving. And so it's important that we pay attention to the way that God calls us to live so that we might die with a good name, reflecting his glory. So back to the story with Gina and the funeral. At our memorial service, our church got the honor of hosting that. I didn't know how big of an influence Gina had in her life, but there were several hundred people that were at her memorial. And the 700 people that were at her memorial um, began to speak, many of them, when we had that time of sharing at the end. And do you know what came from all of those people? The good name of Gina reflected the good name of Jesus. The good name of Gina reflected the good name of Jesus. Christianity, we can go through the motions. We could think that Christianity is just kind of the gateway into heaven. And if that's what it takes for me to get to heaven, then I'm going to go there. And then we put it into a locker and we shut it tight and we think that that's all there is. And we continue to live our life untouched by the reality of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for our life. But when you live that out, when you truly seek the fulfillment of Christ in your life, then when or how or why you die doesn't matter because 
He will never lead you astray. He will never lead you astray and you trust in him. The next point is rebuke is greater than flattery. (laughs) How many of us honestly like to be rebuked? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, great. Good. If you were raise your hand, I would rebuke you. Um, So (laughs) none of us like to be rebuked. Kevin, don't test me. Don't test me. Um, None of us like to be rebuked. None of us like correction. How many of you have been rebuked and became better because of it? Anybody? Yes. We all have, haven't we? When someone gives us a word of correction, it changes our life. I like to be around the people that flatter me for some reason. I like to be around the people that give me approval. And what happens is they don't really know me very well. (laughs) Because if they knew me well enough, they wouldn't flatter me the way they did. And rebuke, though, correction, is what happens when I'm able to see that my heart needs to change. It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. That's what flattery is. It's the song of fools. They're just ignorant in the way that you really are. And we try to get that flattery or that approval of men or women outside of the approval of God. Then our hearts remain unchanged. And we're actually walking in the same type of foolishness, singing the songs as well and dancing to the tune when really it's the the piercing word of a rebuke that has an environment in which our lives change. The, the key idea for this next five verses is that our lives would be in a place where correction can happen. There would be an environment in which we as the good seed that God planted and has taken root can continue to grow and be nurtured and cared for. See, a fool doesn't care about the environment that they're in. They just want the amusement of their heart. But sometimes we have to realize that for the good soil to be watered and nurtured and fertilized so that the plant may grow, which is that of our lives, we have to be in the hard places in order to do that. The way of wisdom sends us along that narrow path, those hard places to where the correction of the Holy Spirit happens through brothers and sisters in Christ that love us. They don't care as much about us liking them. They don't care as much about that because they love us. And so rather than give us a word that might make, them, make us like them more, they're willing to risk it all. They're willing to risk relationship in order to grow us, in order to tell us what we need. And those people who are willing to do that are people that are in that environment as well. They're in that environment of growth as well. The proverb continues, for the crackling of thorns under a pot is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. He's drawing attention to a campfire where the campers have gotten these dry thorns and they use it to start a fire, but they don't have any logs there that would catch. All they're using is the kindling. And so they bring the kindling and they start the fire and it starts and it has uh, immediate noise and clanking and then eventually it gets really bright, but you know what happens in about five minutes, it fades out. 
That's what it lasts. That's vanity. Here today, gone tomorrow. Try to grab onto it, you won't. That's why when you make a fire, you need a lot more than that so that the fire can last and bring warmth to your body on a cold day. That's what good friends do. That's what your church family is called to do. That's what you're called to do with your friends, your family, your loved ones. Because if you're unwilling to offer them a rebuke when they need it, and you're unloving, you care more about them liking you than actually loving them, or you're using them for some other reason, God's calling us to something different. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and the bribe corrupts the heart. The author points out that every man and woman is open to corruption. You see the way of the world, and you see oppression. You see the way of the world, and you see continued destruction. And if you give your heart towards that, you are going to be an oppressor. You are going to be someone that puts someone else down so that you can rise to the top. That's why a bribe corrupts the heart. As Christians, we realize that the problem isn't on the outside, but the problem's inside. And the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And so trusting the Lord that we would walk in purity, that we would walk in wisdom. One of the things that have baffled the church and Christianity is when pastors fall into sin. You've all seen it when a pastor has put their hope in something other than the Lord and chances are they've been doing it for some time and after a while it begins to take root into their heart and it becomes such a part of their lives that they can't escape it and then you hear that they've been stealing money or they've had an affair or they've had this or that type of problem. No one starts ministry with the hope of finishing that way. No one does. But it happens. Why? Because they don't realize that the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And they're corrupted by the shiny object syndrome of the world that says, look here, this is better, this is better. And that's why the scripture says the rebuke is better than flattery. That it's greater. That it's greater. He says in verse 8, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. You can celebrate a marriage, which we all should do. Going to weddings is a wonderful thing. But you know what's really important? It's finishing well. It's remaining married. It's growing with the wife or the husband of your youth. It's growing in the Lord together. There's been many weddings where I've celebrated two uniting in one flesh But I've also grieved when those weddings have ended in irreconcilable differences or something of the sort that's caused my heart to break. So we celebrate the ending. We realize that the beginning, there's much need for prayer and care and growth. And yes, it's worthy of celebration. The author says that it's not not, um, a bad thing to celebrate the beginning of something, but pay attention to the end because the end tells you the wisdom you need to sustain the beginning and be through to the end. And he says here in verse 9, or the the second half of that verse 8, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Verse 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. 
if you're in an environment where you're not allowing your heart to change and grow, part of what happens is anger begins to well up in pride and it becomes unchecked. Have you ever known anybody who is in authority but not under authority? These people that have all the authority in the world and they wield it harshly upon others, but they're not willing to come under anyone else's authority for their growth. Those leaders are toxic. Get away from them. But leaders that are under authority, they check their heart at the door. And then they realize that anger is something that goes deeper. Impatience is something that goes deeper. And pride comes from grounds in the soul that have not been watered to where humility can actually give birth to life. And pride that festers destroys, but humility gives life. And the author says to us here, pay attention to your life, pay attention to the heart of the problem and the problem of the heart so that others may keep your life in check and help you grow and give you wisdom to stay on the narrow path. Verse 10, say not, why were the former days better than those, these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. For it is not from wisdom that you ask, why are these better? I I like watching home videos. Um, uh, There's something about the nostalgia that comes with it to where, you know, it just seems like those are better times, right? Anybody with me on that? You you look back in the past, and I know when I'm looking at my kids, I've got, you know, with Camden and Adeline when they were infants, and Carrie and I were holding them, and it looked like life was so easy back then. (laughs) And Carrie reminds me, what are you, stupid? No. Life was a pain back then. Life was difficult. And the difficulties of life, is somehow it escapes us. Some of you might feel like you're in the hardest time of your life right now. You might feel that way. And 10 years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to think, that was easy. That was easy. My problems of today were really easy. Because there's problems in all of life. We, we look at the lives of others and think that others' lives are a lot better and easier than ours. We give ourselves to this covetousness of the way, uh, the problems that other people has, rather than embracing the circumstances of our life that are changing our heart at the same time. And these are the thoughts that give way to God bringing about his grace in our life, his hope in our life, and his redemption. Psalm chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Of the righteous man, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The righteous who follow the way of wisdom are grounded like a tree that's deeply rooted next to a stream that is nurtured and cared for. But the wicked are like chaff. They're like a weed that grows up today and then dies tomorrow and the wind just blows them away. The the righteous have a life that's grounded in God that God used far beyond their life in the lives of others for his plan and purposes. 
But the wicked give themselves over to the temporal, to the vain things, to the amusement of their hearts that are fickle. And then eventually, like that crackling under pot, they have a bright start, but a dim finish. And we never really see the substance of their life. That's why the psalmist says, better is one day in the courts of God than a thousand in the house of the wicked. He's saying, if I can be in the place of righteousness, if I could be in the God with the God of righteousness, better is one day there than a lifetime anywhere else. I'll hold the door to the temple in order to be close to the Shekinah glory, the holiness of God, in order to get a glimpse of his glory. And that'll be enough for me than a thousand anywhere else. And that's the way that the righteous goes because we don't pursue after the things that are vain, but we pursue after the things that are substantial, things that have meaning, the things that God points us to in the narrow way. And finally, we see that perseverance is greater than success. Perseverance is greater than success. Is success a bad thing? It's not. Is success something that you should pursue? Yes, you should. We should all be about pursuing those things. But there is a way to pursue success that says yes to yourself and no to God. And that's what the author is warning us against. Perseverance is greater. Finishing well is important for the life of the Christian. Now, the reason why I say that perseverance is greater than success, you're reading the passage, you're like, I don't really go there, Pastor. Well, let me give you a little hint here. Um, the ancient Jew that would have read this passage would have found that success, being inheritance, being money, being long life, being many descendants or children, was the way to success. If you had all these things, you had everything. And we saw that last week as we unpacked the passage that the author takes that myth and crushes it. Says that's not what success is all about. There's people that are going to die with billions of dollars in the bank. And heaven will know them as fools. Billions of dollars in the bank and heaven will know them as fools. Why? Because God is more concerned for the condition of your character than the condition of your success, for the, for the condition of your ability to be a self-made person. God wants you dependent. Perseverance is dependence. Perseverance says, if God gives me success, then glory to God, I'm gonna use it for him. Perseverance says, if I don't have the success that everybody else has, as long as I have Jesus, I have enough. Perseverance says that no matter the way that others go and those well-worn paths of folly, I will not go those routes. Even if they say, this is the way to success, I'm following the way of the Lord that says, this is the way to finish. This is the way to eternally walk With me. The reason why we contemplate death is because God actually has life force in that, eternal life force in that. 
Ironically enough, as we think about death, the one thing that the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, could not see was the person that was hanging on a tree 2,000 years ago. He couldn't see Christ dying for his sins. Now, he had an inclination of that from the scriptures because the scriptures were telling about a Messiah who would go through a horrendous death for sin. As it says in Isaiah, he would be stricken for us, but yet could not see what we see. And if we avoid death, then listen to me, we'll avoid the cross. And if we avoid the cross, we won't persevere through to the end. And if we don't persevere through to the end, will we live eternally? Yes, you will. But you won't live eternally with Christ. You'll live in eternal punishment in the place of folly, in the place of the fools. Because the wisdom of God acknowledges that it's foolish to trust in anything other than the finished work of Jesus Christ for my salvation. This is why perseverance is greater than success because success, success has a different type of pursuit. But perseverance, as the scriptures point towards us, are pointing us to the sufficiency of Christ in all of life. Let's consider this passage together. 1 Corinthians 26. If you have your Bibles, let's go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Paul says this, little background of the church in Corinth is, uh, this is the church gone wild. It's a mess. The church of Corinth is a group of brand new Christians with a amateur leadership that has never led a church before. And they're trying to figure this place out in a pagan environment of Corinth. The people that become Christians in Corinth are kind of the low rung of society. They're the gamblers, they're the prostitutes, they're the tax collectors, they're the people that many reject. And then 1 Corinthians 1.26 says this to them, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. They didn't have a high place of society. They were the bottom feeders of society. It says not many of you were noble birth. He says this, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. One of the arguments that the church of Corinth was up again is if your God is so powerful, why did he die on a cross? If your king was so mighty, how did the king end up there? And if you're so great, if you're so incredible because of your faith in Christ, why do you believe in a fool? Because only fools die a death like that. And Paul goes at it. He says, that, my friends, is wisdom. That church is something that will never change and 2,000 years later, the gods of Corinth are little known, but the man Jesus Christ rules and reigns so that no one should boast in the presence of God. Do you see, wisdom makes its boast all about Christ. All about Christ. You live for nothing else. Our call is to live for him. 
And so when we walk the path of wisdom and God grants us success, we give glory to King Jesus. And we say that God led us that way. And how could I take credit for something I simply trusted him to show me the way to go? And as we contemplate the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ, we realize that in him, as it says here at the end of this passage, and because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. A good name is better than precious ointment because a good name carries with it not a boast in my good name or your good name or Gina Talley's good name, but the good name of Jesus. The good name of Jesus is the precious boast that we as Christians have and there's no other name to live for. And death stands like an evangelist saying, pay attention to your life and what matters most. So that your boast may be all about him. And that we would walk and live in him in the way of wisdom. So so let me ask you this question in closing. Are you on the narrow road of wisdom? Are you? Well, if you are, here's three things that will help us ask if we're right on that path. Are you paying attention to the way that one day you're going to leave this place? Are you paying attention to that? Or are you just so consumed with life that you forget about that tomorrow may not be here? Are you paying attention to that? And are you asking Christ to help you live in such a way that you die boasting in him? Second question, are, are you surrounding yourself with a song of fools, this noise that just applauds you all the time? Or are you intentionally putting yourself in the place of hard conversations that allow your heart to be reoriented to the gospel? Are you in an environment to where Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, can change you? And the last question is, Are you more concerned about perseverance than you are success? Because success can be fleeting. Perseverance is forever. Like Paul, can we say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. What matters at the end of your life isn't what you've done or what you've accomplished or how much money's in your bank account, but how you live for Christ before the throne of God above. This high and perfect plea, the great high priest whose name is love, whoever lived and pleads for me. Right now, right now, that's his concern. He's pleading for you, that you would continue. That when we celebrate the end of you and me, we celebrate the ending and we celebrate a life that's persevered in the Lord and walks in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that God, this truth is truth that has us on the narrow path of wisdom. And God, it's not our own strength that keeps us on that path, Lord. And so we need your help. We ask that right now, Father, you would speak to us as only you can. Everybody in the room, God, has a different life that's being lived in different ways. But Lord, 
May you speak to us in such a way that causes us all to unite and walk on the one path, the way of wisdom that boasts in the cross, that you are my salvation, that you are my king, and that I forever will be with you in eternity in heaven where you rule and reign and my soul boasts in the Lord. Help us even do that now, God. Help us make these songs, communion we take, our boast. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as Pastor Josiah gives us instruction?